Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. The moment has arrived. I'm Charles and as always I'm joined by my good friend Joe. Hello there Charles. We're gearing up for it. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I love Super Bowl Sunday. I love it. I really do. But uh, everyone's going to be a casual Everyone's going to know everything about American football for the next week. You do know that. <laughs> yeah, this is so true. This is why we watch it at home and don't, don't go to pubs. Because suddenly everyone's going to be an expert. And a Rams fan. <laughs> i tell you what, before we jump straight into Super Bowl, should we just cover off a few news items of the week that maybe need a little bit of extra discussion before we jump into Super Bowl? Let's cover them off. Let's do them. Shall we start with a bit of an update on the Brian Flores incident? Yep. So as listeners may remember, when we were recording the pod last week, this news had literally just broke. A little bit clearer to understand what's going on now. When that news broke, we didn't quite see the racism angle. It's it's clear now that it was paying lip service to the Rooney rule. Obviously, a lot more to come from this. There's now a lot of pressure for that Rooney rule to be overhauled, changed, adjusted. And to be honest, I think most people would probably agree that it's necessary. It's not something that I think either you or I, Charles, have the answers for, really. But be very interested to see how things play out. The story kind of took another turn today. Lovey Smith was announced as the uh, Houston Texans head coach. Brian Flores was in the mix down to the last three. Brian Flores has said that he believes he would have got that job had he not made this complaint. It's it's just not good for anyone right now. Obviously, Brian Flores has done what he thinks is right, and you know he's taking a stand which he should be commended for. But unfortunately, it's hard to look at any decision that goes against him now to ever not be judged in this context. Who knows if he was going to be the hire, or if it was Lovey Smith all along. There are some elements of Brian Flores' whole complaint which have been challenged already. You know, no one is denying whatsoever the racism problem that is endemic in America and the league in general. But John Elway has had a very different view of his side of events to what happened in the interview for the Denver Broncos. And, you know, the appointment of Lovey Smith here, I'm sure that the Texans GM would say that uh, he was the right man for the job and it was always him. So it's... It's one of these things where you'll never get the true answer because it's just opinion from here on out. It's not a good look for the league. And this one's going to drag on for a while, yeah. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. It's a really muddy affair, isn't it? Where it's going to be very difficult to pull apart opinion from fact. Uh, I think, as you highlighted, you know, the Rooney rule certainly has issues with it. And it certainly seems that the spirit in which it's been used is not the spirit in which it was designed to be implemented. You know, just pulling people in for token interviews when you have no intention of hiring them isn't really what the Rooney rule was put in place to achieve. But what I'd kind of say to that is that's what you create when you create a rule that is literally saying you have to have a token interviewee. And I'm 100% in agreement that there needs to be more black representation in coaching staffs across the league. You'd be an idiot to not think that. With the representation that we have on the playing field, it's unfathomable how there are so few black head coaches. No one is denying that whatsoever. The Rooney Rule is trying to deal with the symptoms of the issue and the problems are far, far deeper rooted. 
Yeah, and that's exactly it. Obviously, it's not been effective in achieving what they wanted it to achieve. And so they need to look at a different way of increasing that representation. Uh, And just simply having a rule that says you have to interview someone. Well, it doesn't lead really to anything, does it? Except for these terrible situations where you're dragging people in just so that you can tick a box when you've got no intention of hiring them in the first place. Yeah, and like I said, just want to be careful as well because Brian Flores has experienced racism. I'm sure that he has, but that doesn't mean that every decision that's ever gone against him, and I'm talking about the John Elway thing here because John Elway kind of rebutted the claims that he made and said that if he looked bedraggled, it's because he took an overnight flight to go and interview him, and they did sit there and interview him for over three hours. And Brian Flores hasn't really responded to that. So there are certain elements of this story which are perhaps unfair to certain individuals. And I'm not saying that Brian Flores is wrong on John Elway. I'm saying there's two sides to these different bits here. But let's see how things pan out. There's clearly been some level of injustice here. And the league needs to sort out the wider injustices which are still going on to this day. Yeah. So keeping on the coach theme then, should we just do a little bit of a recap of a few updates, who's gone where and what roles are still available? Shall I run it down, Charles? Go for it. So nearly all of the head coaching positions are filled now. We have Matt Eberflus at the Bears, Nathaniel Hackett at the Broncos, Lovey Smith, as we've already just previously mentioned, at the Texans, Doug Pedersen at the Jaguars. And I just want to say, Charles, I'm pretty sure that I called this one a couple of months ago. I said that as a quarterback whisperer, as some have him, he could be the man to reignite Trevor Lawrence. He's at the Jaguars. Josh McDaniels at the Raiders. Mike McDaniel at the Dolphins. Dennis Allen announced yesterday at the Saints. Brian DeBowl, not Brian Flores, at the Giants. And that leaves one technically vacant position, which is the Minnesota Vikings. Although it's almost a foregone conclusion at this stage that it will be Kevin O'Connell. Interesting conspiracy theories, though. I'm not sure if you've heard this one, Charles, that if the Rams win, Sean McVay might retire. Um, no. What? Sorry, why? Well... It's no secret when you look at McVeigh that he's basically just like vibrating. He's kind of so intense all the time. He's like, his life is just intense football and football stats. So the rumour is that he doesn't want to do that for the rest of his life. That he wants to go out there, win a Super Bowl, show that he can do it. And then retire, get the big paycheck, probably get paid as much as he's getting now for doing TV stuff. A bit like a uh, Madden, so to speak, but a little bit earlier. I place that somewhere between rumour and conspiracy theory. It's probably not likely, but some people have started to mention that. Now, if the Rams did win, what would happen then if they say, hey, Kevin, do you want to be the new head coach after Sean? So that is the small, little, tiny sting that might be there for the Vikings. Unlikely, but you've heard it here first if you haven't already heard that rumour. (laughs) okay i mean the man's 36 when we say he doesn't want to be doing it for the rest of his life i mean how much of his life has he been doing it for yeah but 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 i think that i think he's going to start looking like he's 63 if he kind of keeps on just vibrating (laughs) and uh stressing himself out like the way he is now the intensity it's like he's living full intensity all business all the time and i think he is someone who would do very well on tv he certainly got the personality that would translate well to audiences across the nation. And he could get paid very, very well to go and do that once a week and not have to worry the other six days about his team. 
Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think he just loves the game way too much to take that backseat role. Like you see him in the build up to draft and you get that look on all or nothing. You know, he lives this stuff and he gets such a kick from it. I just can't see him enjoying the media limelight quite in the same way that I think he just loves coaching and getting in the nitty gritty of football. I probably agree with you, but, you know, there's other factors that don't get talked about. Family, his wife, she won't be seen him much. There's a lot of coaches who are divorced, and there's a reason for that, because they're just living down at the training ground, literally sleeping over there, just staying over, sleepovers with the OC, working out what schemes they're going to do. That's their lives, and it takes a toll. If you can win early, show that you can do it. Like I said, I don't think he will, but if it does happen now, I'm, I'm not going to be flabbergasted like some people might be. Yeah, okay. And uh, Jim Harbour, do you, do you want to talk about that a bit? Because that was a very weird incident that went down last week, wasn't it? Very weird situation. It seems to be. I think that Harbour walked into that interview thinking that he was going to get it. That it was his. He just had to go there, show up, basically say, I'll take the job and say, this is what I want to happen and then leave the uh, facility. That's what I think was in his mind. And there's probably reasons why he thought that. You know, the new GM is someone who he had hired several years ago, who had worked in his staff. Um, didn't pan out like that. I think that the Vikings were actually putting him through a proper process. And so there was a little bit of crossed wires, I think, on the day. And I think they both left thinking that wasn't what we really expected. There's always the theory that Harbour never really wanted the job. He was just going there to leverage more money from Michigan. I don't think that is the case. I think that if the Vikings had pandered to him like he was expecting to be pandered to, I think he probably would have taken the job. But look, it's not going to happen. I would be honest, I think I wanted him. Because say what people say about him, say about his personality. At the end of the day, when he took over San Fran a decade ago, they were a terrible team. They were, uh, I think, a 5-11 and 11 team, maybe a 4-12 and 12 team, something like that. They'd had a real bad season. And then he took them to the NFC Championship game in three of the next four seasons. Took them to a Super Bowl. Took Colin Kaepernick, who... After everything that's been said about him, he's not an elite quarterback. It was his 10th game. It was his 10th game he had ever played, and he'd got to Super Bowl off the back of what Jim Harbour was doing and the schemes that he was setting up. Sure, he was executing it, but they made a system for a quarterback to succeed. And look, I, I, I think he's someone who is proven. Okay, he may not be a proven winner at the very highest. He may not have a Super Bowl, but he's someone who'll get you there. So Kevin O'Connell, who knows? He might be great, but a little bit more unproven. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It seemed very surprising for me reading about it. And even Harbour's reaction, it was almost a bit like throwing the toys out the pram when it didn't go the way that he thought it would. Like, I don't know whether it's throwing the toys out the pram because it wasn't like he had a tantrum about it. Like, it it just seemed that it didn't work out. So he said, I'm looking forward to going back to Michigan. But when you look at all the teams... But he was then like, I'm sticking to college forever now. And like he was like, I'm never going to try for another NFL team again. It's like, well, (laughs) all right, mate. Okay, the interview didn't go the way you thought it might. But don't don't start using words like never and forever. Point taken. I guess this was just a bit of a shun on his pride. That he had gone there thinking he was going to get a job. Wasn't what he thought. He had to actually compete for it. He didn't want to do that. He was interested in walking into a team and just walking into a team and them saying, yep, we want you. And with all the noise that was going on the week before, basically every team that still hadn't got their head coach sorted out, nearly all of them had said, if um, Harbour's available, then we definitely want him. I think the Jags had said that. I think the Saints had said that. Every team had basically implied they were interested. So for the Vikings to 
I'm not saying the Vikings were wrong. I feel that they should have done a process. And teams not taking a process is how you end up with the situation that we had with Flores. So teams should be doing a process. So yeah, so maybe Jim Harbour should have expected a process really, rather than expecting he was just going to walk into it. And finally, Joe, let's touch on Alvin Kamara. That's probably the biggest breaking news this week. Vegas, man, is it a curse or what? Man, just think, right, when they were going to move a team to Vegas, I think the thing that was the biggest concern there was the links to gambling and bringing the league into disrepute somehow through some kind of gambling mishaps. That's what a lot of the focus was on. I don't think anyone saw the amount of carnage that would happen in this city with just players just losing their minds. And there's more kind of detail that's breaking out about that Kamara story now. It seems that, and this is just from the news that has broken so far. So again, as I said earlier, there's two sides to every story. But what's being reported is that a guy was trying to walk into a lift or trying to walk out of a lift and Kamara put hands on him and wouldn't let him walk into the lift because I think Kamara thought that the lift was just for him and his friends. So scuffle broke out. This guy was, I think, fighting with one of Kamara's friends Kamara allegedly was outside of that, but then just piled in and threw punches on him. Then when the guy was on the floor, I think they laid in something like 23 punches when he was on the floor and stomped him when he was unconscious. So ugly, ugly look to it. I'm going to call it now. I have a feeling this is going to be one of those ones where one of Kamara's friends is going to end up taking a rap for this. I think one of Kamara's friends will probably be doing time and probably acting as the main guy here, the full guy. Kamara, who knows? But... Just as a reminder, the Saints are, what is it, 80 million over the salary cap going into next season? Just leaving that out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bloody hell, what a mess, eh? If it's not Las Vegas player, it's somebody doing this in Las Vegas. And What happens in Vegas, man? Just what happens in Vegas? It's just Doesn't mental. stay in Vegas. Yeah, it's just it's, absolutely it's, it's insane. So there we go. And then let's talk about why they were in Vegas, Joe, because... You saw the Pro Bowl. I didn't. I was away this weekend. I wish I hadn't. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I think it was, was it what that basically said, I've seen walkthroughs with more intensity than this. And I don't think he's wrong. I think we've talked about plays with more intensity than they played on Saturday night, Charles. It was embarrassing. You may as well, right, everyone already knows that you don't bring like punters, that the punters are there just wasting their time and of errors extra cheerleaders but there was zero point the offensive lines or d lines being there because they literally patted each other on the shoulder and then turned around to see what the quarterback was doing they were just watching the quarterbacks and the quarterbacks were playing rubbish because they didn't care it was an absolute waste of time an absolute waste of time and it's just made a mockery of a whole pro bowl week really they'd be best off just not doing it yeah so what is then the drive for this and do you think there's a better way that we can replace this with something that... Because if it's purely a commercial thing, surely there's something better that we can show fans than what was shown this weekend. I'm of a belief, and I think quite a few people are right now, but just keep it to the skills. Keep it to the skills stuff that they do, because that's entertainment. But make it a little bit more formalised. A lot of the good skills stuff that they used to have, they've got rid of. And I'm not sure if you saw this week, they were doing some kind of touchdown catch and grab thing where someone won it because they did a flip i think that Diggs won it because he caught the ball and did a flip and this was like a rip off of like a slam dunk challenge but obviously because it's not a slam dunk it just looks crap that was a failure stuff that they used to do you go back 20 years ago and they actually had a strength contest there where they had like the linemen 
lifting big weights and seeing who could lift like you know the most that kind of stuff is entertaining and you could actually make you know points for each one of these really make a, a cool thing of it do it like world's strongest man where it's different events and you got to get through to like the final stuff like that fans would eat that up but just watching a kind of game that they showed on saturday night was it saturday night sunday night it was, it was just terrible charles it was absolutely terrible i switched off midway through the third quarter and i, I don't think i've ever switched off a real game Right, I think we've delayed it long enough, Joe. Let's talk about this Super Bowl matchup, shall we? It's worth pointing out, you can read opinions about what a million people think of Super Bowl. 100%. So we're not going to labour the point too much. We're not going to go into it in loads of detail because who knows at the end of the day and you can read a million different articles. But let's talk about a few quick things that we think on the top of our minds and let's start with maybe some positional or, or matchup breakdown, shall we? Yeah, and I'm going to ask you a question first, Charles. The battle, which is going to be a key one in this game, between the Bengals' O-line and the Rams' defence. Now, a lot of people have this going only one way and being a very foregone conclusion. Do you think that the gulf in class between these two units is as wide as the current narrative states that it is? Well, maybe not as wide, but yeah, I think close to. I really, really do think that Aaron Donald and, the well, even the rest of that Rams defence is going to get to Burrow. We've seen worse defences get to Burrow throughout the season. I think this is going to be a problem for them, for sure. And you can kind of end the game there, because I mean, like, look how basically the Bucks won Super Bowl last year. They basically ended the game because... Mahomes was running for his life the whole game and it doesn't matter then talking about what the wide receivers might do or you know what the quarterback might do or how he might scramble out because if that quarterback is running for his life basically in every offensive play I I agree with you right I think they are bad and I think that if they play anywhere near as bad as they played in the game against Tennessee where they gave up nine sacks nine sacks in a playoff game or the first half against the Chiefs where Basically, every play, there was a pressure. There may not have been as many sacks, but there was a pressure constantly. If they're anything like that, this could get ugly pretty early because Burrow can only take you so far. As good as he is and as great as he is playing, he can only do so much in a Super Bowl. Look at Mahomes last year. One of the elite quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the league right now. He couldn't win that game single-handedly when he was faced with that much pressure. And I think that's how the Rams think they're going to win Super Bowl on Sunday. And I agree with all of that. The only thing that I would say is I don't think there's any guarantee that you flip it and the same thing's not going to happen. When you look at the pressure that that Bengals defense put on Mahomes in the second half of their matchup two weeks ago, and you think about how Stafford really struggles when that pass rush comes quick, I don't think that the Bengals can't turn around and do the exact same things to the Rams. I think that's a great point. I think that is a really, really good point. And that's the only way that the team can counteract it. If it is going that way and, you know, Burrow's under constant pressure, the only way that they can really counteract it is with defensive play because they won't be able to offensively play their way out of it. And so we'll have to be in this kind of attritional defensive battle then where mistakes and turnovers mean everything. You're exactly right to kind of point out we've seen what happens when Stafford is under that much pressure. We've seen some of the, you use the word, boneheaded plays that he has made when he's just got things wrong, where people have got in his face and he's just aired the ball up when he shouldn't have done it. These could be the factors which could give the Bengals a chance. But on the face of it, from what we've seen in very recent history, this 
is a bad Bengals O-line. I would say, though, it hasn't been like the Rams have been Sac City through this playoff run. Just looking through their stats quickly now, of the last three playoff games, they didn't get a single sack on Jimmy G in the championship game. Not one sack. Now, they were pressures, but they didn't get a sack. They had three sacks on Brady, okay, and then they had two sacks on Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray is a quarterback who does get sacked through how long he holds on to the ball. So five sacks in three playoff games. It's not like they're maybe generating as much pressure as the reputations of some of the players imply they will or should. Yeah, that's very true. I think the other thing that's going to be very important in that picture is Mixon. I think the temptation is going to be when you get to Super Bowl to show that aerial dominance straight away and to stamp your mark. But actually, I think if you can get Mixon firing early and you can get the Rams defense worrying about him, that just kind of opens up the play a little bit and takes some of that immediate pressure off Burrow. So I think that's how I think the Bengals should come out the blocks with this. Try and get the run game established before you turn to the passing game and just get them guessing a bit more. I think that might be one way that they can kind of nullify a little bit this Rams defense. Well, I agree with that. And just in the way that the game kind of pans out, just say, for example, say that Burrow throws an interception or Burrow gets a strip sack. The next play, you just want to establish calm. You just want to calm the game down, get some first downs, move the ball, and just get things going again. Who are you going to trust more, Cam Akers or Joe Mixon? I think Cam Akers, since he's been back from injury, has just been fumbling too much. There have been too many fumbles. If I was a head coach, I'd rather have Mixon, and I'd rather give Mixon the ball in a Super Bowl than I'd give it to Cam Akers. For all the talent that Cam Akers does have, you just want your running back to not be letting go of that football. And so that is one area where I would give the Bengals the edge. Yeah, I agree with that. So then somebody that we can't overlook, Joe, is Cooper Cup. He has been on an absolute storm this season. What do you think the Bengals do there? Do you think they can contain him? It's one of those things, really. There's been a few games where I thought, you know, surely this secondary will shut him down. But he seems to find a way every single game to just run routes, do the little things that just buy him space and just get him separation. He just seems to be doing that every single game. And no one has really stopped him yet. So do I think that the Bengals will stop him? No, because there's no kind of precedent for that. Do I think they had the players with the potential and talent to do it? Yes, absolutely. Jesse Bates... I'm not even going to say it's low-key because I think that everyone realises now that Jesse Bates is one of the best safeties in the league. With Jesse Bates playing, you know, over, that gives the cornerbacks a little bit more kind of freedom to be a bit more aggressive in playing Cooper Cup. So, who knows? Then again, though, he'll probably match up against Eli Apple at some point and for all the kind of chat that Eli Apple has, he's inconsistent at best. Let's just say that, shall we? Yeah, I mean... Again, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier, but I think you're, I think it's wasted energy to focus too much on Cooper Cup. He's going to burn you at some point. He is. I think the way to contain Cup is actually to contain Stafford. I think the moment that you start getting pressure on him and you force him to, you know, you mentioned boneheaded plays, that's how you stop Cup, by actually getting Stafford to panic and to turn over and to disrupt that rhythm and that connection they have. I think if you're just relying on your cornerbacks and your safeties to contain Cup, he'll find a way out of it. So actually, the way to stop it is through Stafford, I think. 
I partially agree with that, but I still think you have to double team him throughout the game. Oh, you because have that to. One play, yeah. <laughs> like that one play when you don't have safety help, that one play when you leave him one-on-one with your second cornerback, that is the play that he's going to go off for 80 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. It's that play. And we've seen it time and time again that it's just that one play that he needs where the matchup is right. And Stafford will take advantage of that. And you can say, you know, go after Stafford all like all you want, but Stafford just needs one chance and that one matchup. And you can't stop everything. So he's got to be doubled up and Jesse Bates has to really be supporting whichever cornerback is facing up against him. So having spoken about what we've spoken about there then, you're taking the under on this? <sighs> yeah. I think I am too. What is the over under? So as of yesterday, the over under was at forty eight point five. 48.5. You know, my my judgment is probably clouded by the last time I watched Rams in Super Bowl. And I was with you watching that one. And I think that we both thought that the Rams were supposed to score points. This was when Gurley was playing well for the Rams. I think it was in Cup's first season. So he was just a second or third wide receiver on the team. The Rams were a high scoring offense. And they didn't get going at all against the Patriots. Was it three years ago? Four, four years ago? And that's kind of clouding my judgment now. Yeah, I think that, that this game this game has to play out attritional defence for both... Well, the Bengals are going to have to play D to counteract the D that the Rams are going to come with. So both teams are going to have to play D. I think this could be a bit of a tetchy give-and-take affair in the first half. Might open up more in the second half, but I'll probably take the under on 48 points. Yeah, that's exactly how I see it. Yeah, 100%. I think it's going to start off quite slow would be my prediction. I think that defence is key to this, and I think there is going to be a bit of nervousness around making the big play and getting intercepted. It's going to be calm heads prevail, let's go through the motions, and I think it's going to be difficult for these teams to combine for more than 48.5. So you've heard it here first, guys. There's going to be a score from a kickoff, and we're not going to see a single <laughs> punt in the game with predos like that. And look, I'm not going to call a winner. Defences win championships. Everyone knows that. But I'm very glad that you made the point that there isn't only one defence playing this. Yeah. All right, Joe, all there is to do is enjoy the big game itself on Sunday. We hope all our listeners have a great time. We hope you are not too tired if you're working on the Monday and soak up. And if you're someone's boss on a Monday, have a little bit of mercy. (laughs) This is true. I like that. So before we leave, Joe, should we do a quick update on the bracket competition? Yeah, with the Chiefs going out last week, that's ruined my bracket. I'm I'm dead in water. (laughs) But who's stuck up from behind, Joe? Oh, who snuck it from behind, Charles? Let me guess, you. (laughs) We're level pegging on points now, but I think one of our listeners, Dean, is still ahead in the lead. So it's all to play for, but it could, depending on who he's picked, this could be all over already. Interesting, interesting. Well, we'll soon find out. Looking forward to it and looking forward to breaking down the big game with you next week, Charles. Speak then, Joe. Speak then.